speak to me. Yep. Hello. All right. So, um, what we've been talking about is um, in business documents and other places that people will say one thing when they might possibly mean something else. And that this is something that um, uh, is characteristic of both the Buddha and Sherlock Holmes. And I'll put that into the context of uh, what the Sherlock Holmes said was when you eliminate the impossible, then all you're left with is the possible ever how unlikely it may seem. Now that's a quote. All right. The quote from the Buddha is, is that he knows the difference between what is possible and what is not possible. And this is a major, major wake up call for every Dhamma dude. Uh-huh. And that it's not only needed and useful in looking at our own life and our own beliefs and whatever like that. But this is one of the ways that you become expert at telling whether somebody's lying to you or not. In other words, when somebody's asked something impossible, like they can't find a page that's clearly in a PFD file, that's uh, in the area of impossible. So what you have to do then is recognizing that the source of this email is based upon something different than what it's presented because what it's presenting is clearly impossible. It was impossible to you and it was impossible to your bosses. It's impossible to everybody, this email that you're getting and saying, I can't read page two. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All right. So if I can't read page two, when in fact I'm a businessman, then that indicates that something else is going on back to what's possible and impossible back to Sherlock Holmes. Okay. There's got to be something else going on here. Mm-hmm. All right. So this is the first thing that you can look at. And then the next thing that you look at is, is that all transactions have a swinging door. It swing, the door swings both ways. What this means is, is that not only can there be a, um, a push from this side, but there can be a pull from the other side and vice versa. And so what this means is, is that he's complaining to you about something that's impossible may in fact indicate that there's something going on with him that is possible. This is why we want to be able to open our eyes in all of these kinds of transactions so that we can begin to see from that perspective of the Buddha, which, by the way, this is in the Sutta number 12, the great lion's lore. And this is the first item on the list of the skills that the Buddha claims for himself. So this is quite remarkable. This is almost the foundation of your entire practice is to start figuring out what's possible and what's not possible. 
Uh, I think I started doing something with that. Okay. But, uh, yeah. I have been doing that without really know, knowing it, developing diagnostic skills to get computer hardware going in the sense of packing it all in uh, uh, so that uh, like, well, yeah, we've got one network card, but we've still got PCI ports, so let's put two or three network cards in here and get this thing going. Or maybe we can use those PCI slots for USB. And then we got two out of the three USB working. Why isn't that working? Okay, and so we start pulling things around to try all of the possibilities so that we can isolate exactly what the problem is. Okay, so this is diagnostic, but the whole point is, is to try all of the possibilities. This is one reason why uh, diagnostic places um, will have a lot of extra parts. This is exactly how people repair automobiles. Have you ever been to a dealer and you wind up with having a whole long list of stuff in there? And you just had one problem? Well, what they do is, is that they'll go and they'll say, well, what's wrong with this car? Maybe it's that, and so we'll put that part in, put it on the bill. Did that fix the problem? No, well, let's replace this part and put it on the bill. And then is the problem fixed? No, and so they keep replacing parts until the problem is fixed. So generally, you only had to buy the last item on the list. <laughs> because they tried everything else, but they just left it in place and charged you money for it, because why not? <clears throat> so this is the way that we begin to look at it. When you begin to see that something's not quite right with communications that we have with other people, that means that we need to do deeper investigation. Don't take things on their surface. Um, you've probably heard of the word skeptical or skepticism and that kind of thing. Skepticism has a, a unique problem here. And that is, is that people will not accept something and are skeptical of it, but then they don't go check it out. And they just remain skeptical. They just remain in doubt and they don't know. But what we're doing here in this lion's roar is bringing you up to the level of a lion means that you've got to stalk your territory. You've got to look at what's going on. And don't take things at face value from anyone. And in fact, this is also in the Kalama Sutta, the very, very famous Kalama Sutta, that there's 10 reasons to not accept things. See, in the Kalama Sutta, the people went to the Buddha and said um, that in fact there's an underlying story. But they came to him and said that we've had all of these mystical, spiritual dudes pass through our village and claiming this, that, and the other thing, and we don't know who to believe. Now, maybe they ask that question to every guru that comes into their village. But one of the backstory about the Kalamas is, is that that's the same name as Ala Kalama, which was one of Buddha's teachers. And so more than likely, they already knew this. 
They're the Kalama people. They got one of their boys who's been high enough in all of this stuff that the Buddha's teacher. And so now he's coming by, and so we're sort of giving a second examination to this student of our t teacher, right? So that's kind of what's going on. And what um, the Buddha told of the Columbus is that very, very famous line that had, I think it's got like 10 items in it. <clears throat> but basically, don't believe anything because you've been told. Don't believe anything because it's heritage. Don't believe anything because it's common knowledge. Don't believe anything because it's in a book. Don't believe anything because somebody uh, that you actually believe um, and have respect for told you that. Not even your teacher or your guru. Don't accept anything even if it appears correct. That in fact the Buddha even knew about confirmation bias that he's stating here that everything needs to be deeply investigated. Now, some things we cannot uh, do an investigation. For instance, you can't call that guy who wrote that email on the phone and, and interrogate him like you were a cop. <laughs> we're not going to be able to do that. <clears throat> but and we fact, we don't even care. But what we do know is, is that we don't want to keep our eyes open for new possibilities that are hidden by that document to surface. Be on the lookout for this guy to drag his feet in other ways. Okay. Right? Yeah. Get, get where I'm coming from? To keep your eyes open for this. That in fact, um, we can actually turn this around because we can look at this guy and see that, oh, he is us. Like Pogo. I guess you knew about back in the 1980s, one of the major cartoons when they still had funny papers in, in uh, newspapers. There was one in, um, in, in Washington's paper uh, this was about, maybe it was in the 70s about the Vietnam War, but anyway, Pogo had said, we have met the enemy, and he is us. And so this is, uh, we can use other people as examples for what we ourselves do. That, uh, that there's actually even uh, two different suttas where the Buddha uses a dog as an example or as a teacher. So you can see this guy, uh, this email, as an education in two ways. One is, what is this email covering up? And look at this as an example of how we cover stuff up. Because there is a point in the Dhamma that's really amazing. Um, this is coming out of Sutra number 48, but it has a twin Sutra number um, 24. And they both map the path, but they do it in a slightly different view. In the sense that the way that the path is mapped looks more like this than this. Do you understand what I mean? 
In other words, these two suttas fit together only in the sense that they're filling in the gaps of the other sutta. This actually occurs in uh, the twin suttas between number 118, the Anapanasati Sutta, and the Satipatthana Sutta number 10. But these two suttas, number 24 and number 48, map in, a, in this way, and that one of the places along the path is when the Buddha talks about, in fact, this is step four in uh, Sutta number 48. Uh, which is almost <clears throat> the, the big change. This is what you could call the fulcrum point or the hinge of the door where everything is on one side or the other. Imagine that you were um, going to walk a teeter-totter. You know a teeter-totter? Where you have the ramp up and then it keeps going up and the kids sit back and forth yeah okay all right so on this teeter-totter there's there's a point in the middle that's a, a big piece of steel above the ground whatever and that this um this is what is called in uh in engineering the fulcrum point so as you walk up the teeter-totter and get to that halfway point when you make the next step up, it actually, the teeter-totter now goes down the next time, and so the rest of the journey is downhill. That's an amazing point. Because most people in the spiritual path think that they keep climbing and keep climbing and keep climbing up into the air. No, this halfway point is all that we need. And after that, it's a downhill journey. You could think of it in the sense that the uphill path is the um, the path. And that once we get to this midpoint, the rest of the journey is the fruit. In other words, now it's a downhill journey. Now it's easy peasy. If you've ever done any real bicycling, you know exactly what I'm talking about. That, that in fact, when you're when you're bicycling downhill, what you want to do is use that opportunity to build up as much speed as you can because it's really easy. You get that bicycle going as fast as you can so that when you get the bottom, you've got a whole lot of energy going up the next hill. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, and so um, this is a, a point to understand that when we get to that top or that fulcrum point, we're only halfway there, but now the rest of the journey is easy. And this is in, in the stage in the Sotapan of the seven stages of Sotapan. This is the fourth stage. And what we're getting at is that once we really understand the nature of dukkha and we get the resolve and the enthusiasm to get rid of it, that means that now we're really willing to see it in the sense of our own screw-ups, our own mistakes. You've probably heard forever that we learn by our mistakes, from our mistakes, not our successes, and nobody likes that. We say, yes, it's true, but we still attach to our mistakes. See, if if this is a mistake, then I'm a mistake. If this thing fails, then I fail. 
if this thing dies, falls over and dies, then I fall over and die. This is the basic attachment. This is when we start to really make that break in the self and stop attaching to our mistakes. That it's actually quite easy to, um, to see our attachments to the things that we like. But the things that we don't like that come from the outside, we can easily see that stuff too. It's the mistakes that we make on the inside that is so close to the self that is actually the thing that causes the most misery, mostly because we're covering things up and hiding from it because we don't want to really know what's going on. Just like that email, it may come out and I'm not making any predictions, but just as a possibility that a couple of weeks from now, this guy is going to send an email saying the deal's off. Wouldn't wouldn't be that's not an unlikely occurrence in the that's in that not an unlikely occurrence, <laughs> is it? OK, especially yeah. with this kind of email coming. So he's giving you a warning, but maybe he's actually giving himself a warning. Maybe even he's already feeling bad. But this email, this ridiculous nothing email, is actually a bad feeling email. And he's having second thoughts. In that regard, you may want to send him an additional email to try to cheer him up somehow. We don't know because we don't have enough information. We don't want to go shoot the shotgun or off into the dark. We want to be able to pinpoint what the problem is. And right now we don't know what it is. All we know is is that something's going on and he doesn't know it and we do this is power okay this is real power the power of the knowledge of seeing what people are doing and knowing what they're doing and understanding it better than they themselves do because they're not willing to look at their own mistakes I might pass it. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, that's a good idea. That makes sense to me, but, you know, I'm not typically allowed to really communicate with like Byron's, uh, you know, that freely, but maybe I could tell the boss okay, that, well, that's you, my hunch. You don't I got have to. You can, you can just keep this under your um, uh, 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 chin and um, watch the show. <laughs> yeah and there may come some time in the next couple of weeks when you go damn right <laughs> <laughs> i can see that coming okay <laughs> so that's that's the way that that's wisdom for you is beginning to see what's going on that has a lot to do with the fact that people do not want to see what they're feeling they do not want to see their mistakes. They do not want to see their reluctance in things. That if we are reluctant about a business deal, we only want to deal with the reluctance of the business deal. We don't want to deal with the reluctance within our own being instead. This own, that's something that a Dhamma dude does, not ordinary people. Because they think that it's painful in there. And actually, what's painful is letting it stay there. That's what's painful. 
Yes. And you know what I'm talking about because you've hidden over and covered up and hidden from things uh, that you've done that you thought were wrong. And because of that, you don't learn very much from them. But when you bring them open and expose them, then we can get over them. We can. This is so freeing. It's one of the most important qualities of the Buddha. This is why I'm calling it that fulcrum point. Once you open up to the fact that it's quite okay for you to screw up, but that's all right. Uh, there's many different places that we can hear that wisdom. One would be from Shakespeare when he says that it's better to have loved and lost than to have never loved at all. Have you ever heard that phrase? Okay. Let's analyze it for just a bit. In the, in the sense that to have never loved at all, basically what means is, is that someone did want to love very badly, but because of some reason or another, they didn't get a chance. Unrequited love, fear uh, of being on stage, um, fear of rejections, um, all kinds of different things. And, and uh, uh, Shakespeare is is saying go for it make that leap if you land in the dirt never mind pick yourself up dust yourself off and boogie on down the road that is okay to fail all right because that failure is not necessarily the dukkha itself it's when we don't like it and don't want to believe that I did such a stupid thing that then we refuse to have it as a benefit. Yeah. Okay. So we can actually, with our attitude, turn that upside down so that you are joyful when you fail. Because okay. now you know. An example of that would be don't put a hard drive on the floor when you've got a baby puppy on the floor. That's not a good idea. Why? Because that puppy's going to knock that hard drive over and it might die because it was running when you when the puppy knocked it over. Those heads hit that plate and that's dead meat. Okay, so but you don't know that. Until you have a puppy, knock a hard drive over and lose it. But I am not the hard drive. I can lose a hard drive, but I'm not going to lose the puppy because I lost a hard drive. And some people will be angry at the puppy when it was themselves that left the hard drive in the place where the puppy could knock it over. Mm -hmm. Or you learn to use some cloud storage. <laughs> uh, the kind of storage that I need is too big for the cloud. Really? <laughs> right. I can buy hard drives and and put them in storage for 10 years. And, and if you have it on cloud, you have to pay it every month, every month, every month. Yeah. So it's you know, you about... no, I, I know how to back up. <laughs> <laughs> Believe me, I know how to back up. <laughs> so the hard drive was fine after the dog attacked it. Pardon? So the hard drive was fine after the dog attacked it. No, it was dead. It dead. Was dead. I've got, I, the reason I'm thinking about it is because I just moved it this morning. Did 
what did, did you lose uh like youtube videos data no no just lost the hard drive which is 150 dollars but it didn't lose any data like i said i i back up good you know why i back up it's because I used to lose data, and then I recognized, no, you can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> you have to have everything backed up. Yeah. While you were talking about the, uh, while you mentioned the knowing what's possible and what's not possible, one thing that came to mind was um, how I always know that it's like possible to have a wholesome thought <laughs> and that also I noticed that when you do have a wholesome thought I guess you could say like it's impossible that there was like the possibility there was a huge possibility to have any number of unwholesome thoughts and it could have been a very painful experience such a painful experience it could have been but I get such <laughs> yeah. great relief when I say that, when I have just one wholesome thought, any wholesome thought, that it's almost like uh, basically that is what it is. It's that you know, like if, let's say it's that it's that thing when you start describing like the comma to end all comma, basically about how just one thing could put an end to so much disaster, and it's such a relief when you. <laughs> When you realize that you put it put an end to to all the unwholesome thoughts that could have been and that's a really great feeling right this whole point about changing our attitude from being the victim of our mistakes into being the beneficiary of our own mistakes mm -hmm. that is just such a change in attitude that is so liberating yeah like when you told me when you told me like uh, to say like, oh, I caught it again and I caught it again and I caught it again and I caught it yeah. again. We become happy at catching the mind screwing up because that's the only way that we're going to get over it. You see, when we first start catching the mind wandering away, we don't like it at all. That's why we're climbing the hill. But once we get up to that point, there's that focus. It's OK for me to screw up. And in fact, in the sutras, not just to screw up, but to confess the screw up. Aha, I caught you. And to confess that screw up and to recognize there it is, right? Only yeah. then can we make retributions for it. And that's also in the sutta. And the making of the retributions for it is to throw that thought out and replace it with a wholesome thought. So it's yeah, in a because... different context, but moment by moment, thought by thought, we go through this process of recognizing that's the wake up. And that's, in fact, the really the the, the most obscure part of, of sati. Is we call it wake up and wake up and wake up all the time and talk about sleep and getting out of bed and many, many things like that is an example to remember. But basically, sati and um investigation sati is really the strong part is when we wake up to the fact that we screwed up mm -hmm. exactly to wake up to this is a screw up 
And guess what? The captain cannot change his, the course of his ship until he's really to um, admit to his crew that they're on the wrong course. That was one thing, too, that <laughs> that analogy was really helpful for me when I started to turn things around. That one and then the other analogy that you use about the, the bending the branch. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah, I was like kind of in this... Uh, situation that i put myself in basically like over the weekend where it's just like um i was watching all these or i was playing this game like a lot like on my phone for like no reason I was playing this game and uh you know not really thinking about many wholesome things just kind of working myself getting uh tense getting uptight for like a full weekend straight <laughs> and then <laughs> And that intermittently, I would watch these videos of this guy playing this other video game. And he was, like, so incredibly good at it. It was shocking. It was like, wow. Because I've played that game before when I was younger. And so I know I can under I have, like, a real appreciation for, like, how ridiculously good he is at that game. Um, but also that, too, was, like... I was sort of a bit of working myself up but at least I was enjoying like watching it but then um I think just like Sunday night came around and it was like this is not really <laughs> the way I want to live my life was like how I saw it. it was like that's not really how I want to um you know and there was a lot there was a lot of duke in that and and seeing how I had like kind of worked myself up and been tense, and kind of got myself into this loop, and then oh, and um, some jealousy also with this guy. You can watch him play the game, and you can say, "I can't play that game like that." Well, I don't even have that game. I wasn't really worried about that. <laughs> I was just like more like if I'm watching like you know, LeBron James play basketball or something like that. I'm not jealous of LeBron James. But actually, because I have, but maybe, you know, because I have played this game quite a bit, like when you talk about music and you talk about, you know, the top guys, you probably have a better appreciation for how good those guys really are because you have some experience in it. Like Even if I'm watching basketball, I haven't played enough basketball to re probably really appreciate like doing a slam dunk and all that. But anyways um seeing that though it that appreciation for it for seeing him play so well i had the thought to myself well there's a lot of things that i'm actually good at that i've gotten good at because and i, and I could think to myself i know exactly how he got as good as he is at that game by simply just playing it a lot like if i hadn't kept playing that game when i was in high school because that's i played basically stopped playing that game six years ago uh -huh. so if i kept playing that game for six more years probably as often as he does i'd probably be really good at that but then i thought about it i was like you know i am actually i had like a realization like i am actually as good at certain things mm -hmm. as he is at that game even better you know like i learned to to read i could read. <laughs> i mean everybody learns to read right mm -hmm. i learned to walk i learned to talk <laughs> i can think I could have unwholesome thoughts. I could do all types of things and really, really well. And you can have really wholesome well. thoughts often, which is something he probably can't do. 
Yeah, and so I, I could do all these things there really, really is, well. There is but one so look, thing. this is let me just cut to the chase here is that um it it kind of opened me up and made me realize like, wait a minute, like and, and with that analogy that we were talking about with the boat and the pulling the string, pulling the the, the um the branch down, I was just kind of like it's as simple as that, like I could imagine you know you being so great at you know the game was call of duty that i was watching so you met so great at call of duty like that's wonderful that's great but what about also being so amazingly like what if i was that good at feeling good <laughs> <You know? laughs> that good i mean I, I could play even greater game <laughs> and get really good at that game I mean, that's a way <laughs> better thing to get really good at. And it's possible because look at how good I've gotten at all these other things. Look at how good he's gotten at that game. I know exactly how to get good at that game. And we talked about how to get good at playing piano. And mm -hmm. I, so I know exactly how to get good at this stuff. Exactly. And so after that okay. day, I had, you know, it was a bit of a, I guess, a strong determination wake up. But it was also... You know, there's strong determination, I think, in terms of, like, you know, a certain attitude you could have about it. But this attitude was more like the, 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 the juice is much better in this direction anyways. And the other direction is so painful anyways that there's not really <laughs> – the choice becomes really, you know, what, what was the thing you said about earlier? <laughs> Give me a break, <laughs> or whatever it was. <laughs> that one, basically. And okay. so I kind of made a bit of a strong determination, but the determination was easily made at that point in time. Isn't that a, the buildup, though? After we start getting on the path, there will come a point in time when we say, and it is almost an attitudinal change that has to do with it's better to see the dukkha and get rid of it than it is to hide from it and keep it. That's yeah. the change. That's the big change is when we no longer hide from the dukkha, but in fact, we're willing to look at it and learn from it and, and see it as, as of great value. And so um, there's something else that's in there that I, I want to share with you that is actually worthwhile looking at it from various aspects. And that is, is that the games that we have on the cell phone or on uh, the video actually has a quality to it. It's two qualities. One is that you have to know your way around. That's the Sankara. You have to know your way around. Sometimes you have to die a dozen times in some games before you even learn the territory. You have to keep playing it until you begin to see the territory and learn your way around. So that's the one thing. But then the real skill that's coming in that needs to be applied to every game that you play is the skills... But every game that you play is going to have a different territory, whether it's a video game or whether it's like Sudoku or whatever like that, that you're going to have to learn your way around the game. And then there's the new skill. And that new skill is how fast can you make connections? And that's where the speed comes in. How fast are you going to make your mind? 
this is the skill. And not only that, but when you're playing this game, that's also the kind of question that you want to ask, which is exactly the same kind of question that we're asking when we're in jhana doing our practice. And that is, how is my skill? How fast am I? Did I play it this time faster than I did last time? For Sudoku, like, what's the high score? Or what's the, the fastest game? Uh, or um, playing a lot of Sudoku, am I in a particular range? And another way of looking at it is um, uh, the games are rated beginner and to middle and expert and um, absolutely extreme or something like that. All right. And I always just play the extreme games. And the reason um, that I'm talking about this is because there has to do with the quality that sometimes you have to make judgment calls so that you can back up that game and replay it in case you've made a mistake. And so planning on mistakes in advance is one of the things that I'm talking about. That we can plan on making mistakes. And so we plan on uh, making sure that we can track those mistakes. But another quality of it is, is that sometimes playing the game and it takes 30 minutes to play the game. And I can keep track of how the mind is working. If I can play three or four games and they're all taking 30, 40 minutes, and that will happen kind of maybe late at night or when I'm tired or something like that, as opposed to when I'm sharp, I can get those same games down at, at that extreme level down to six minutes, five minutes, 10 minutes, that in that range, okay? And so this is a way that you can look at these games if you're playing them. Just how long did it take you to play the game? and plan on making mistakes so that by, by doing so, you can back out of them in advance or you keep track of, if I've gone down this way, then I need to find my way back here so that I can start off in that direction and this kind of thing. But this is, this is and that's actually quite complicated if all you've got is a set of numbers like Sudoku, that if you're in a, um, uh, a simulation where you've got walls and things you can recognize, you can use different parts of your brain to figure out how to get back. But when you've got only those numbers, <laughs> it's kind of hard. You have to keep track. You have to remember what you're doing. Okay. Yeah. So one this, thing that I had noticed when I was playing the game too was that that was kind of another realization here was um, I this game was like a really uh, you say like a grindy game like there's. There's definitely strategy. There's definitely a bit of bit of skill. I feel like the skill is more about the strategy, but I guess that that is what it is. And then, but it's a the, when I say grindy game, it's like you just play it a lot until you get your character ideally stronger than other people, and then it's easy to to use maybe a certain strategy to maybe even start to like exploit it where you can get so many points and you can rank up faster. And it's just kind of like this cycle. Mm -hmm. But but you see, that's the case, ordinary way of playing the game. This is, in other words, the points is what everybody's looking for. Yeah. What so I'm what, looking what I was gonna say for was that actually knowledge of the game. Knowledge of the game, learning your way around it, and then fast. 
how how quick can you act? Keep track of how fast you are. Yep. This is a new way of looking at it. Your object is not to win the game. That's a full, that's a foregone conclusion. Of course, you're going to win the game. The question yeah, I was going to say something about that. So when I was when I had gotten like played it a lot and I got like really strong and powerful, I would notice that I would still die randomly sometimes, and I would say. Like why? What? What just happened? Like I, how did I die? I'm such a powerful character in this game. How did I die? And I noticed that actually a lot of the times when when I am really skilled at a game, I'll actually like you know I'll pretty much know how I died. I'll know what happened. I know, you know, what mistake I made. And I noticed that there was a couple of times when I would just probably relax because I had such a powerful character, and I would really not have my head in the game. Not watching what you're doing. How fast are you? Yeah, that's, exactly. So what you're saying is, is that when you when you are slow, you die, and we call that suddenly because you didn't yeah. see what was going on. Yes, <laughs> exactly. All right, you got me. That's exactly what we're talking about. Is is that you got to keep track of how fast are you? Yep, and and so when I did put the game down, that was one of the things that I had said to myself in that determination, which was like, let's uh, do this with like having our head in the game, you know, like wake up and and sort of watch what's going on and see if you can start to catch this stuff. And when you do catch it, you caught it again, and now you're catching it more often. You're getting good at catching it. Excellent. Yes, exactly. This is why we can use things like video games as an analogy for the mind and playing the video game is like meditation of learning about what's going on. And that the speed, in other words, uh, what happens in the game of you think yourself big and powerful and all of a sudden you're dead and you don't know why. Doesn't that happen regularly in real life? Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. And the reason for that is because we're not watching what's going on. That we had mm -hmm. a thought that killed us. And we didn't yep. even see that. Yep. That's actually what happens. I mean, like. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Right. So the video game is a lot about sati. That's mm -hmm. why I am not necessarily down on video games in general. It is because I can see that people pick up very, very useful, valuable skills. Possibly one of the in most interesting is, is that uh, the United States government uh, military has gone big time into drones. Guess who those drone operators are? Guess who the army wants to hire? Guess who's going to be the soldiers? Gamers. The guys who were soldiers when they were 14 playing those video games. Because the guys who were good at the video games are keeping track and they're looking at what's going on. And so they, those kind of guys make very, very good um, um, air traffic controllers and drone operators and that kind of stuff. Because you've got to watch what you're doing. You've got to keep alert. And that's the skill to be developed. And it gets developed in many, many different ways. And it sometimes an example of that is with music. 
And I'll give you an example simply because I know it, and that's the third movement of Beethoven's Moonlight Sonata. Now, the first two movements is and then the second movement um, uh, is also uh, slow. But that third movement is just all over the place. And that um, there's two ways of tracking it. One is with the sheet music itself, and that the other is uh, that they've got visualizations where they've got a keyboard at the bottom, and how long the key is pressed on the keyboard becomes a line that goes up, so that you can see the little dots up and up and down on the on the. I think I see the, the exact video you're referencing right now. If, if that's what you're talking about, I don't know. Okay. Was it, so, is it a video? That uh, yes, this, is, this is this is definitely a YouTube video. Now, what I'm talking about is, is that this is a piece of music that I played when I was in high school. It was it was one of those pieces that was always beyond me. I never quite got it. I would never I would not ever play that particular movement in public because I didn't have it down, right? But the point is, is that now even without those muscles developed anymore i can still sit and watch and listen and be into that music down to every note as fast as they are that i'm listening in in every note and remembering the fingering and all of that kind of stuff exactly so you can actually crawl inside a piece of music just like you crawl inside of a video game Another one is also watching the piano player. Uh, that's generally hard to do because they do various cameras because people don't have very good attention spans. And so when you have a classical piece of music like a violin concerto or a piano concerto, you're only going to get to watch the keyboard about 10% of the time. And the rest of the time, you're going to be watching some dude while uh, waving a stick and you're watching other instruments from here and there and those that have little solos and whatnot. And so that kind of thing, you can't keep track of what's actually happening on the keyboard all the time. But that's what a pianist who is following a piece of music that they played before wants to do. They don't want to see all of that orchestra all over the place. They want to see that keyboard, okay? Mm -hmm. And the same thing with the violinist. If the violinist is doing a uh, concerto and the violin players or those who play violins, they want to watch that left hand. They want to see what that guy is doing. They want to hear every note and watch every finger position there. The same thing is good with classical guitar and whatnot. But when it's a big symphony like that, you don't get to watch the violinist all the time. You have to watch the orchestra too, depending upon what the camera is doing. This is one of the reasons why a live show, when you can actually be there with that musician, it's so valuable. We have lost that. We don't even know what we've lost by seeing things on video because what we do see is so controlled by the editor of the video. Rather than being able to pay attention, what you want to pay attention is happening in that concert hall. And so that's one of the um, the things that that is going on 
with that. And that's one of the reasons why there are so many different videos of the same thing over and over again. An example of that would be um, the violin concertos like Beethoven or Tchaikovsky's will have five or six or eight or ten various musicians playing it. And the thing that I like is when we can find a video that has years ago someone who was very good and very famous to the point that they were making videos uh, of him and then now see one that he's made in the past five years so that you can see over a 25 year span he's playing the same piece of music how has it changed because generally what happens is is that the musician is even more relaxed 25 years later playing that piece of music that when he is a young man he is still performing it and he's really into that piece of music to make sure it's absolutely perfect mm-hmm. 25 years later he's playing that same piece of music absolutely enjoying the hell out of it because he knows that it's going to be perfect mm-hmm. the perfection he's got down he did that 25 years ago now he's just in the, the, for the play of it for the joy mm-hmm. Because he knows he's going to win. He knows he's going to play it perfectly. This is what we're talking about is that attitude. The attitude, of course we're going to win this game. That's not the point. The point is is to keep track of how fast we are. How Mm. well do we know the keyboard? How well do we know what's going on? Can I say something about that speed that I noticed that was really incredible that I put together when I was watching those videos? So there's like a such thing as a... uh, like hacks in the game, like hackers in the game, people who go into the code and exploit the game and and make it so that essentially what you have is the program running and it knows that the enemy is at this coordinate. So it'll just point your gun at that point in the screen instantaneously. And when you see this happen, if you watch someone who has this running, what it looks like is basically um it's very unnatural it wasn't is what it looks like uh-huh. it looks like the, the gun just moves here it's just it just moved here now like it's just moved up to this point here like for example when you go to click like any button on your computer you're just moving your mouse you're tracking your mouse down to the button to click right you wouldn't like just go on your mouse pad and just whip it down to the button and then click and know that you click the button i mean that's sort of a level of skill and so there's mm-hmm. actually this guy who's actually trained himself to to make it not only just look like, but actually play in that way where he just really does play as though it looks like it's very, sus- they say it's very suspect that he's cheating because he the way that he plays is so to the point where that gun just moves at maximum velocity directly as fast as it possibly could to the enemy. And it looks like, there's a code in there that's telling the gun to point directly at this point immediately. Mm-hmm. And so I just thought that was incredible because that's basically exactly how he's got the software to do that. You could write the software to not just alert him to click there, but the software can click itself. He doesn't even need him to do it. Yeah, that's what I'm that's what I'm saying. That it that's what it 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 looks it it, it looks like, you know, the, the style or the uh just like the movement when you watch someone moving around like that and you watch like the the hacking when they code it to point and shoot on its own essentially it he's practiced to the point where the the muscle movement is down to that point where it can just be there and you're aiming and you're you're doing really you know you're you're doing the job immediately and so i was saying how with the mind how we learn to 
be fast with the Saudi to catch these things as soon as they arise. Mm -hmm. To be really glad as soon as you see that the mistake has been made or that you've caught you've caught something. You can be that quick with it. Exactly yeah. right. That's exactly right. And yet in our life, because of our childhood and because we started off as victims, we wanted to hide our mistakes so mommy wouldn't catch us or so that nobody would know. We didn't want to deal with the embarrassment. And so we all get into the habit of hiding from our mistakes. And and even scientists who know that about scientific experimentation. But in fact, Edison's a good example. He says is that invention is 1% inspiration and 99% perspiration. Why does he call it perspiration? Because it's one failure after another after another, and he doesn't like it. Mm -hmm. That's a good example right there, is, is that scientists, in fact, want to get success, and so they're willing to go through all of the failures to find out what's going on, but they still consider it failures rather than educational. And all it is is an attitude change. So you can go from inspiration to perspiration and perspiration and perspiration and success into uh, inspiration, a toy to play with, tinkering a little bit more, and success. In both cases, we get success, but one of them was a lot of perspiration, and the other is a lot of fun because we're willing to see our mistakes as playful, that our mistakes are not important. That they're important when we try to hide them. Then, in fact, hiding it is making it important. That was such a hard lesson for me to learn, and I would really like to be able to pass that on freely so that you can hear it without having to go through the pain that I went through to learn that lesson. <laughs> yeah. To learn to be easy on yourself, joyful, that it's okay that you screw up. Look at what you're doing. Pay attention. Pay close attention. Yeah, and, I mean, and, like, that's the, that, that's why that analogy is so helpful for me, I think, because I always think about, you know, when you do... When you, when you do have that wholesome thought anyways, you could think about that you could have had so many more un, other unwholesome thoughts, mm -hmm. but you didn't. And then also, you really are, you know, you're leaving behind the other pathway of unwholesome thoughts and you're, you're making way for the new positive pathway or you're, you're bending the branch in the correct direction. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that, that's always feels really good. Yes, let's let's go through that analogy because you've mentioned it several times and it actually is quite an analogy. A, a limb or a branch is less than, let us say, the width of the arm. If you pull that down and then let it go, it'll spring back. But it won't spring back exactly all the way back to exactly where it was. And if you keep bending it down, even though you let go of it, it doesn't quite go back. And pretty soon you keep bending it over and over and over again. And pretty soon it bends and stays in the position that you want it to be in. That is beautiful analogy. Mm -hmm. 
But we have to keep making that mistake over and over again of letting it go and go back to where it was and then never mind, grab it again and pull it back. That's the way of looking at it, that it takes time. And um, actually, that, that springing it back over and over again um, is makes the, that limb stronger. That that's one of the ways that uh, that they uh, <clears throat> made bows in England. Because before they cut the tree down, they would bend and keep bending the uh, uh, the limb into the position of the bow before they would cut it down. Mm-hmm. And so it would take a while, but they would just tie it up and keep it bent like that so that they would. Uh, uh, pre-manufacture it rather than having to soak it in water and cook it and do all kinds of things to get it into the right shape. They just bend it into the right shape while it was still alive. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good idea. And it makes perfect sense like that once we think of it, you know. So, yes, that's exactly what we want to do with the mind. We want to bend it and keep bending it into a very wholesome shape, something useful and valuable. And we want to be able to catch it when it falls back quickly so that we can put it back into the place that it was. So this is the uh, uh, this is a really good analogy. I like that. That bending of the limb. Yeah. You know, I had this. Uh, I don't really know if it's worth mentioning, but um I guess I'll mention it anyways since I started. I had this this dream last night. I guess it is worth mentioning because um, I always find that this happens. I think it seems like a pattern that when I try to go to bed sometimes while doing Anapanasati, I think maybe I'm like keeping myself up like slightly doing that. I don't know. And then I'll end up dreaming a bit. Okay. Well, and so I, I, and I had, you can yeah. say you're you're making a connection that may not be fitting. That because you're doing Anapanasati, you keep yourself up a little bit, and I understand that. But then you can say, and I'm also more aware of the dreaming, and now I buy that. It doesn't cause more dreaming, but it does allow you to see the dreaming. Mm. Okay, yeah, because I think that that's really what's going on, because I noticed that when I do, like, really go on upon a satya to bed, I'll remember, or I'll see the I'll see the dream. Yeah, and, like, last like, night's so dream sweet. was not a dream I want to see. <laughs> Have you also begun to see that sometimes it's hard to tell whether I was awake having a thought or whether I was actually asleep dreaming? that the boundary between dreams and thoughts is just a continuum. It's just a continuum. It's not dreaming is one kind of thinking and wakeful thinking is something else. In fact, teachers in school know about it. They call it daydreaming. When the kid's not paying attention. Okay, well, night dreaming is when you're just simply not paying attention. Now that you're beginning to pay attention, you're beginning to see the thoughts that you have, but you're still calling them dreams. 
where really what's going on is you're beginning to see that you continue to think even while the body is asleep. It's kind of hard to actually see that there is a thing sleep as opposed to wakefulness. They're not different. They're a continuum. Yeah. Well, what do you have to say about um, because the particular dream that I had last night had just so many uh, components of, of being unwholesome that I think it'd be really worthwhile to not have those kind of dreams anymore. <laughs> what can I do to not do that? You just did it. You did what you needed to do. You woke up, you saw the dream, and you've decided you're not going to have that kind of dream anymore. So next time that you're asleep and you start to have that dream, you'll remember, hey, I'm not going to have this kind of dream anymore. And you can do Anapanasati while you're asleep. Wake up <laughs> to, while you're asleep, you know, and stay asleep and wake up while you're asleep in the sense of seeing this stuff that's going on. Then, in fact, recognize that you do wake up during the night from time to time. Another way of thinking of it is, is that when you do um, recognize that you're having a dream, it's simply because you woke up to pay attention to what you were thinking about while you were asleep. I didn't really recognize until I woke up, though. But yeah. Well, that's the whole point is, is that start looking at this, start paying attention to it, and start recognizing that sleep is at various levels. Sometimes your sleep comes all the way up to the conscious level and then goes right back down. And sometimes we're up and down and up and down. And that when we're up, that means that we now can remember what happened in the past couple of seconds. So in order to remember a dream, you've got to be awake in order to remember it. If you were completely asleep while you were having the dream, then you wouldn't have been able to remember the dream. So start paying attention to the fact that you're up all night, not all night long, every minute, but up, up, up like that. Notice the body posture when you come up to that point, when you can recognize the dream, also become aware of your body posture. Maybe it'll be a good moment of time to roll over in the night. And then you can start your Anapanasati again. Or another way of doing it is, is that you can incorporate Anapanasati into the dream state. Everything is all right. Everything is so nice. All right. <laughs> and so that's what it's become. All right. So now that you're becoming, that's very interesting that you're saying, and the way that you said it, is many people will say, oh, no, Anapanasati right before you go to sleep. And that's a terrible thing to do because now I'm dreaming all night. That's the way you said it. <laughs> that's not exactly what's going on here. <laughs> yeah. It's, oh, no, when you're actually practicing well and going to sleep, when you've got that uh, intention of mindfulness, the intention of waking up. Now, here's something else that was that would be kind of advanced and advanced in the sense that in the beginning, most of us um, are sleep deprived. 
we're up too much, too busy, too active, and that we're not completely rested when we do get sleep. What we're going to do is by relaxing and relaxing and relaxing and relaxing more in our lives, we wind up recognizing that sleep is not all of that important. That the Buddha actually teaches, though the, the, the sutras are obscure and the monks don't talk to lay people about it, but the monks certainly practice it. And that is the practice of wakefulness. That you don't have to do so much sleeping. Or that you can, you can sleep while you're sitting. But it's not going to be long sleep that you can catnap your way through life. This is actually a skill that can be developed. Dogs do this. These dogs are real layabouts all day long. And they're layabouts all night long. Until they hear something, and as soon as they hear something, they're, ping, they're off. All right? Humans used to have to be that way. Things went bump in the night back in the jungle days. There were actually bears and tigers and whatnot in the woods of uh, Washington. They're not there so much anymore. Why? Because humans are afraid of them. Why? Because what's really going on is, is that in the old days, people didn't sleep all night. In northern climates, you had to get up. Somebody had to get up and, and uh, rekindle the fire or everybody's going to freeze to death by 6 a.m. And so keeping the fire going, keeping a vigil, uh, standing guard, uh, every cowboy movie has that, in the sense that five or six guys are out on the range, someone has to stay up all night. In the Navy, we have watches all night long, and even though you have the three watches of the night, you still have to do all of your duty. You have your your general duties, which is working all day, but then we're going to guard that ship all night. And there's going to be certain people that have to go on watch and they don't get to sleep back. Mm -hmm. So, uh, Along comes modern medicine and says, you need eight hours of sleep. Well, you need eight hours of sleep so you can work the way that they want you to work. When you've got nothing to do and you're not working, you don't need to sleep so much. Yeah, but I'm working plenty. So I know you're working plenty. So we're talking about something new. That's why uh, the lay people aren't talking aren't taught this very much. This is something that the monks do, practicing wakefulness. That you will, in fact, in any, let us call it a dormitory or big building that monks stay in, you will hear things go bumping in the night all night long because maybe half or two-thirds of the monks are up at this particular hour of the morning because they're not asleep. Don't need to sleep. Already rested, thank you very much. Don't need much sleep. Yeah. 
That was and my experience, I think, when I was on my retreat. Ah, you're noticing what it is. Yeah, when you got nothing to do and no place to go, you're relaxed all the time. You don't need so much sleep. The sleep is actually to repair the damage that was done in the day. And if you're not doing any damage, you don't need much repair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so you become a much lighter sleeper. I've noticed that also. Of How is my sleep? That's something to look at in the sense of how alert I am. But in fact, that's one of the things that I appreciate about Tam is that she's a very, very light sleeper. That I can come into the bedroom at two or three in the morning or whatnot like that and she'll wake up. It's almost like she's attuned to me. And I can appreciate that because I'm kind of attuned to her. I think I've mentioned that before, that when she's uh, away, that she doesn't even have to get close to the property. I don't even have to see the truck or the motorbike coming around the corner before I know that she's there. That one of the things that I know back, back to the quick, I've got some pretty good guard dogs here. They're doing a really, really good job. My job is to be even faster than they are. My job is to bark before they bark. <laughs> Can I see what's going on before they do? And so this is this is part of the skill um, of giving ourselves these toys to play with. Of how easy it is to wake up. Can I stay alert in the night? Can I start? It'd be better than uh, the dreams I've been having. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the human body is such a marvelous toy to play with. The human mind is such a marvelous toy. I'm glad I've got one. You should get one, too. <laughs> I mean, it's a toy. I mean, you've got one, but you've been working on it. since. Now it's time to play with it. To test it, to see how is it doing? How fast is this thing? And so you can test it in many ways. You can test it with music, or you can test it with basketball in the sense of just watching that guy, but notice and play the thing several times to notice every muscle movement that he's doing. Notice what the calves of his legs are doing as he's coming off the ground. Notice what his thighs are doing while he's in the air. Notice the stretching that he's doing as he's about to slam dunk that ball into the basket that he's also going to grab a hold of at the same time. Notice all of those things. See very carefully what he's doing because you've got a body too. You can begin to get those muscles. This is what I'm talking about going back to those uh, piano pieces. Now, watching that sheet music and listening to that sound and knowing what keys there are to be played and doing it as if I've got a keyboard right in front of me. You can do that also with that basketball. You don't need to have the basketball in your hand to train as a basketball player. You just watch what they're doing in great detail. It's all about paying attention. That's also um, about watching other people play video games. It's not a useful thing to do because you don't have your hand on the mouse. You're not doing the clicking. You're want, maybe you're amazed at how fast he can get things done. But 
we lose our attention span very quickly and then we get surprised and we uh, say, wow, look at what he's doing there. No, you could do that too. All you have to do is pay attention to what you're doing. Yeah. You're the king of this hill. You're the lion here. Yeah, I've been watching my own mind now instead of watching other people play video games, but. Uh, <laughs> well, we'll probably, I gotta wrap this one up because I gotta go to bed. Um, tired, but. Uh, I know, but this has been a delightful conversation. I'm glad that we could talk about this kind of stuff. This is getting pretty deep, I know. This is something while you're working, I wouldn't ex um, expect you to be able to practice, but eventually you'll get time alone where you can practice wakefulness. You can practice not going to sleep, waking up easily. Yeah, definitely around Christmas time will probably be the time. That's when everybody, the business world kind of shuts down, so. Mm -hmm. That's that's uh, that'll be a good time. All right. Well, let's do a kind of a recap. The first thing that we were talking about was the fact that people hide their bad feelings and will make statements that are obviously ridiculous. Like the email that we're talking about. And so we can say, wait a minute, something else is going on here. But then we can recognize that we do that too. That sometimes we're not being straight with ourselves. Sometimes we're not straight with other people because we're trying to hide our mistakes where in fact our mistakes are our best teachers. And that we should be very happy to see every mistake that we make because if we can see those mistakes, we can plan on them so that we can back our way out of them easily. That's part of the skill development. Is to go I ahead. I can apply that to the dreams too. Yes, you can back apply that. Yeah, the back right out of them. Exactly so. So, this is all about building that attitude that we're not going to be victims anymore, even victims to our own bad behavior, even the victims to our own mistakes, or how tragic some people might think they are. That this is actually skill development. And be happy that you're making mistakes. Be happy you can still make mistakes. There'll become a time when you can't make any more mistakes. So enjoy the mistakes you've got. <laughs> it's okay. Nothing is that important, especially covering up the mistakes. And not only that, but that's what gives us a level of trust that works in both directions. In other words, you could trust yourself and because you can trust you, other people will naturally begin to trust you more because you've got nothing to hide. And people know that. They can pick it. You can know, you know for yourself who's trustable and who's not trustable. So you can take that to a new level because you can be mindful of it. You can see that stuff. You're quick now. You can catch that stuff. Yeah, I feel like since the, the um, discernment, because we're already good at uh, judging things, 
a lot, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're really good at judging things just out of the nature of being human and being in the Western world and that kind of thing, then what we're talking about with becoming comfortable with the mistakes, it basically means that you just unloaded a whole lot of opportunities for Sati because you're judging left and right. So in other words, you could call this a mistake and that a mistake. And that just means that's another moment of Sati. That's another moment of Sati. You know, so many moments of Sati just open up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> In a really weird, ridiculous way, you could say that's like the breathing. Every in-breath is a mistake. I've got to let it out. Every out-breath is a mistake. i got to let it back in. <laughs> <Every> <laughs> And that yep. mistake keeps us alive, in and out and in and out. Pay attention to what's going on here. <laughs> yep, keep waking up. And so we begin to enjoy it. We begin to see it as a toy. Yeah, it's okay that it makes some mistakes. That's all right. Mm-hmm. We'll learn. We'll catch it next time. We'll get things speeded up. We can watch what's going on. Yeah. Okay, Keyshawn. Well, you mentioned that it's time to go to bed. Go and lay down and do some Anapanasati. Yep. That's the plan. All right. Thank you. Until next time. Great. This has been marvelous. I've really enjoyed our conversation. Always. We'll see you later. All right. Bye bye.